Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church. Jesus Christ. Let's sing us together. Here we go. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The glories of my God and King. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. The name that calms my fears, blessed be the name of the Lord. There's music in the sinner's ears, oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Sing, blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name. Be the name of the Lord. He breaks the power of canceled sin. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His blood can make the foulest clean. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I never shall forget that day. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When Jesus washed my sins away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the again but this time say Jesus is the name here we go singing Jesus is the name Jesus is the name Jesus is the name Jesus in the name of the Lord Jesus is the name Jesus is the name Jesus is the name uh, give our Lord a hand this morning he is precious thank you amen
Good morning. That's true. God is good. And all the time. And let's stand and praise his glorious name together. Good to see you here today, and we want to welcome you. Praise him with me. Here we go. Ready? Blessed Savior, we adore thee. We thy love and grace proclaim. Thou art mighty, thou art holy. This is thy matchless name. Glorious, glorious, glorious is thy name. Let's worship him this morning.
revealed in you are Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great. Your love was greater. What could say? Christ my King. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before silence the boast of sin and grave the heavens are roaring the price of your glory for you are raised to life again you have no rival you have no equal now and forever God you reign your sins the king What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. In him will I trust. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the
as we come to this time in prayer, uh, we can't come to the altar at this time, but there at your pews, uh, maybe you're at home with your family, uh, let's kneel our hearts uh, before the Lord and let's spend some time coming before Him and preparing ourselves uh, for this time where the Lord wants to speak to us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And Lord, we do bring a variety of different issues, troubles to this place. And Lord, we do desire to kneel ourselves and humble ourselves before you at this time. And Lord, we do recognize that as a nation right now, there is much division um, as a people. Lord, there's, there's much uh, misunderstanding as a people. And so, Lord, I pray that you might bring us back together once again, Lord, that you might reconcile us to one another. But, Lord, also this morning, I pray that we might be reconciled unto you. Lord, for many of us, we already have that relationship with you, and we know what it is to be reconciled unto you. Lord, for our sins to be forgiven. But, Lord, I pray for those who have not yet experienced that reconciliation those who have not yet experienced what it is to be forgiven of their sins and and to have a new life in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that the work that that, that you can only do would happen in lives this morning. And, Lord, as a nation, that we might also experience that same peace that only you can bring. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a shameful gambling game Won the blood-stained garment That once had clothed my king A cheap robe of linen No great value did it hold But when worn by the master It was worth more than gold You see, a few days before Why this old robe had changed the life Of a tired and helpless woman Who believed with all her might She reached out and touched it with hope to be restored. She knew that plain old garment was the vesture of the Lord. And God is His Uncommon things And God uses common people To live out His uncommon dreams 
So it's not what you are now that matters. You see, it's what He can make you to be. For if God can take an old common garment and change a life, then surely He can use you and me. You see, we are the reason that Jesus came to die. And we have been chosen to send forth His light. So it doesn't matter if your word is great or small. God needs some willing vessels, just common garments, that's all. And God uses common garments to do uncommon things. And God uses common people to live out his uncommon dreams so it's not what you are now that matters you see it's what he can make you to be for if God can take an old change a life then surely he can use you and me for if God can take an old common garment and change a life then surely he can use you and me
Today you'll be listening to the message preached by our pastor, Brother Brad Walker, during our Sunday morning worship service. May God bless you as you listen to his message. Amen. Thank you, Brother Tim, for that special music this morning. And what a wonderful day of worship we've already had. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew Not Ephesians, Matthew. (laughs) Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and we'll be looking at verses 35 through 40. 
want to welcome some of our guests this morning. Good to see new faces. And some of you, you've been members here for 50 years, but you look, seem like a new face to me because I haven't seen you in three months. So, and that's not because you don't come to church. It's because we haven't let you in. But uh, we are very glad that you are here today and uh, just uh, so excited about the opportunity to worship together, one service, all of us as one family uh, together. And so, uh, Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 40. As you're turning there in your Bibles, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to, to worship, to sing, to praise, to, to spend time in prayer, and now to enter into your word. And Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts about what it means to love, how it is that we do the right thing that you've called us to do. And so, Lord, today, if there's even one here that doesn't yet know you as Savior and as Lord, I pray that you might stir their heart, cause them to recognize sin and to repent of it and, and turn to you by faith for salvation. Lord, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that our hearts would be stirred. Lord, that we wouldn't just be complacent and say, well, I've got that down pat. But, Lord, we'd really hear from you and, and really pay attention and say, Lord, where am I falling short of this great command that you've given to us. Lord, I know that I am a very weak vessel. I pray that you might hide me behind the cross, that only you'd be seen and only you'd be heard today. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, I want us to take a real quick survey, okay? So I just need you to cooperate by just all you got to do is simply raise your hand if this pertains to you. How many of you, you can raise your hand if this is a yes, how many of you would like to do the right thing? Raise your hand. Okay. Most of us. A few of you didn't raise your hand. Um, how many of you would also say, however, that you tend to have trouble at times doing the right thing? Same people didn't raise their hand again. Okay. That's weird. Uh, but I think most of us want to do the right thing. But I think a lot of us tend to have a hard time doing it. Well, Jesus tells us that it shouldn't be that hard. In fact, the answer to always doing the right thing is found in these verses. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 40, Jesus makes it real, real simple for people like me to be able to understand how we can always do the right thing. And if we could just grasp, if we could just grasp this simple concept, then I believe we'd be able to do the right thing at all times. If we would just listen to what the Lord tells us and just do what he's called us to do. And so this morning, I want us to, to leave as we leave today with a better understanding of how we can do the right thing and what this great commandment truly is. So please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 40. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And this is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You may be seated. We see this question. 
The question of the lawyer here in verses 35 and 36. Now it's important for us to understand the context that's, that's being used here. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes had been trying to trap Jesus. They had asked him several questions and, and humanly speaking, they thought that these were exceedingly difficult questions. They had not yet grasped the fact that they were dealing with God in the flesh. So these were not difficult questions for Jesus. But for man, these might be very difficult questions. And so they, they start with verses 15 through 22. And they start with asking a question about tribute money. And most of us understand that the Jews were living under Roman occupation. And they didn't particularly like living under Roman occupation. And therefore, they didn't particularly like having to pay Roman taxes. And so the question was asked here, Jesus, is it right for us to be paying taxes to the Roman government? Should we have to do this? Now, the, they weren't really asking in order to get a, an answer. They really wanted to trap Jesus. They either wanted the Roman officials to hear him say something that, that would, would count as, as insurrection of saying, you don't have to pay your taxes anymore. You don't have to do anything the Roman government tells you to do and have him arrested and killed and crucified. Or they were hoping that he would say that you do have to do that and that the Jewish people would turn against him. Well, Jesus did something they weren't expecting. He just asked for a coin. And he asked the question, Who, whose, whose, image, whose image is printed on that coin? Well, they looked at the coin and it was Caesar's. And so Jesus just simply says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God that which is God's. Can't hardly argue with that. So they moved on. And then we look at verses 23 through 33 and we see they have a question about relationships in heaven. And basically the question was, okay, there's this woman and she gets married to a man. The man is one of seven brothers. Well, she marries this man and sadly he dies. And in that culture, if a man's brother died, he was supposed to take his brother's wife and he was supposed to bring her into his own home and bring up children in his brother's name. And so that's exactly what happened. The second brother took that woman as a wife and then he dies. And then the third and then the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh and they all die. And then finally the woman dies. And the question was, when it comes to the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Well, Jesus begins to explain, you've missed the point here. In heaven, we won't live the same way that we do here. Yes, we will know, be known, and we will know people as they were here, but we won't have that same kind of love relationship. We'll have an agape love for everyone. And so the same love that you have for your closest family members, you're going to have for everyone. You're going to have that sacrificial kind of love for everyone. And so it's not going to be the same relationships. People won't be given in marriage. People won't be husband and wife in heaven because we will have that same love relationship for everyone. And then he goes on to say that he is the God of the living and not the dead. So again, his explanation is one that they cannot argue with. And so now these enemies of Jesus have banded together, we see in verse 34. And we see the question here of the lawyer. Now, lawyer is not a lawyer in the sense that we think of, you know, the, the big advertisements on the billboards out uh, on the interstate. No, these lawyers were actually uh, a teacher or an interpreter of the law. And the idea of ask wasn't really what was going on here. They weren't asking, saying, I just really want to know. 
No, they were more interrogating Jesus. They were accosting him. They were trying to trap him. They were tempting him to test by craftiness, to put him in a trap where they thought once again, he could either be called up on charges by the Roman government or the people would turn against his ministry. And so the question they ask is a good question if they had truly and genuinely wanted to know the answer, because it's one that we need to know the answer to this morning. And the question they asked was, which is the great commandment? The great commandment. Great, meaning weighty or the greatest in stature. Some said that it was the Sabbath. They believed that that was, that was the weightiest of the law, that you keep the Sabbath holy. Uh, we know that Jews valued the oral tradition. Really, they valued the oral tradition of the law more than they valued the written tradition. And so uh, they had 613 oral laws. Now, that's a bunch. 613, which were handed down by the teachers of the law in, orally. Now, out of those, 365 were negative. So you had a, a negative law for every day of the, of the year. And there were 248 positive. And so the Jewish mindset at the time placed the oral law over those two tablets that Moses brought down from God himself. They, they valued tradition over what God had truly written down for them. And Jesus dealt with this matter in Matthew 15, verses 1 through 9. It says, Then came Jesus, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and he said to them, Why do ye also transgress the commandments of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth his father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whatsoever shall say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, but whatsoever thou mightest be, be profited by me, and honor not his father and his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites! Well did Elijah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Basically the idea here, what Jesus is trying to get across to us, is that the Word of God is the standard. The Word of God. Not the Word of any man. There are a lot of churches that get in some weird spots because they have a man that they start to, to follow rather than the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. There's a preacher that comes along and he has a, a particular belief on something. It's not necessarily completely grounded in the word of God, but that's just what he continually pushes. And the, and the tradition begins to be laid where they follow that man more than they follow the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. We see that the Pope is much like that. The tradition of the church is held in higher esteem than the Word of God. But Jesus says the Word, the Word itself is the final authority on all matters of faith and practice. The Word of God is the standard. But then secondly, I want you to see the answer of the Lord here in verses 37 through 39 to this question of what is the great commandment. We see the first commandment spoken of here in verse 37 and 38. And this first commandment is related to God. 
He says love. Now to love has the meaning of, of a deep love, a, a, a deep love for a person without regard to, to their worth or, or the worth of an object even. This type of love is an act of will. It is God's kind of love, the agape love that allowed Jesus Christ to go to the cross of Calvary and to die in your place and in mine. That is the kind of love that we're speaking of here, a self-sacrificial love. It's not just simple affection. It is love for God that is revealed in one way. And that one way that we show this true love for God is total and unquestioned obedience to Him. Meaning that we don't decide each and every day, am I going to love God? But we commit ourselves with everything in us that I love the Lord my God. That's the kind of love that He's speaking of here. And He says, the Lord thy God. Now what does that mean? Well, the Lord thy God means He is the supreme ruler of our life the object of all of our worship, that it is all to Him and to none other. And then the question comes, is that true in your life? Is He truly the Lord thy God? Does He have that place of preeminence where there is nothing else above Him, nothing else that, 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 that touches that relationship that you have with Him, that, his, that your worship, that all of your life is pointed at Him? And then the one and only, the that word the meaning the one and only. In other words, God is not willing to share the affection with another. He's not willing to share your worship with another. He, he says it's, it's all about Him. He is the Lord. Now, some people might say, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to worship a jealous God. Well, think of it this way. I'm married to a beautiful woman named Robin. I am not okay with being her favorite husband. Okay? That's not cool with me. There's not room for three, okay? I am to be her, her only husband, and she has let me know that she's not to just be my favorite wife either. She is my one and only wife. I, it wouldn't be cool with her if I said, you know, you're my favorite wife, and I think I'm going to spend most of my time with you. There's some others over here, but they're not nearly as important to me as you are. Think about that. How crazy that would be. But then we have folks that say, well, I, you know, if I don't want to worship a jealous God. We have other relationships where we demand to be the one and only. And that's what he's saying here. He demands to be the one and only God. The one and only relationship where worship is due in our life. But also, he is to be loved with what? He is to be loved with heart, meaning thoughts and our feelings. Do you thirst for God? As a deer panteth for the water, does your soul longeth after thee? Can you say that? Do you thirst after more of the Lord? That's what it means to love Him with all your heart, with all of your soul, meaning all of your breath. Literally every breath that you take, are you breathing it out and breathing it in for Him with all of your soul and with all of your mind, meaning your deepest thoughts? Are your thoughts set on the Lord your God? Or are your thoughts set on the things of this world? Are your thoughts set on your career? Are your thoughts set on your hobbies? Are your thoughts set on, on the next thing that you can buy for your family? Or are your thoughts set on the Lord thy God? And the idea of thy. In other words, it's impossible to love him until you know him personally. Is he truly thy God or is he just a God? Because if he's not thy God, if he's not your your, your personal love relationship 
the one that you have given your life to. If you don't know him in that way, then there's no way that you can love him. If you don't know him personally, if he is just a God that is spoken of in a book that you never pick up, if he's just a God that's spoken of in history and you don't know him personally, then there's no way that you will ever love him supremely. A dead man cannot love until he's made alive. And so until the Lord Jesus Christ has come in and given you spiritual life, there is no way that you can learn to love God. He must initiate that process. And so he says this is the first in order of importance, and it's great, and it carries the most weight, the first and great commandment. But then he speaks of the second commandment there in verse 39. Second meaning next in line, or like unto, similar to, or, or, or resembling the other. But also we see that this, this commandment flows out of the first. Okay, we, we know what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about loving thy neighbor. You cannot love thy neighbor the way that God is calling you to love thy neighbor unless you love thy God with heart, soul, and mind. You will not love your neighbor if you do not have the love of the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling within you. So the first commandment has to happen for the second one to ever take place. Love. We're to have a deep we're to have an abiding love for our neighbor that does not depend on who they are or what they do. You hear that? They don't have to earn your love. We're called to love. Our love does not have fine print. In other words, it is not based on them loving us. Think about if, if, if our salvation depended on us loving God first. It never would have happened. It does not depend on them loving us first. It does, it's not based on them acting right. It's not based on them being like us or looking like us. It's not based upon us agreeing with their actions. We're simply called to love. There are no exceptions that allow us to divorce ourselves from loving our neighbor. Neighbor. Who is our neighbor? Seems like somebody asked that question in Scripture as well. Well, our neighbor is any other person. You may say, well, Brother Brad, what do you mean any other person? There's some folks that I'd rather not love. You don't get that option. Any other person, any color, any nationality, of any social standing, of any other religious background, of any other political ideology, of any other personality, be it good or bad. Love thy neighbor with no strings attached. Just love. And then he says, as thyself, and we've talked about this many times, a man should love others as he himself would want to be loved. And we know how to provide for ourselves. We know how to love ourselves. We know how to eat when we are hungry. We know how to sleep when we are tired. We know how to go and have fun when it's time to have fun. We know how to exercise when we need exercise. We know the things that make us happy and we do those things for ourselves. When he says here, are you willing to love your neighbor in a way where those same things take place for their lives as well? And then the question comes, how well are we carrying out the spirit of that command of loving thy neighbor? How well are we forgiving? Are we forgiving others the way that we would want to be forgiven? But I don't agree with their actions. Forgive them because you love them. They've done things that hurt me and they haven't asked for forgiveness. 
Jesus says, love them anyway. Love them so much that it changes who they are. Love them. What about restoration? Relationships that have been broken. How, how willing are you to, to go and find reconciliation in those relationships? The way that you would want someone to be reconciled to you. Are you reaching out in that way? What about compassion? And when we talk about compassion, it's feeling what somebody else may be going through. Do you have compassion to say, you know what, if, if my house burned down, here's a way I'd want to be treated. Or if my children were being harmed in that way, here's how I would want that to be handled. Or, you know, if I was being discriminated in that way, here's what I would want to have happen. Compassion for what another man or woman may be going through. How well are we living that out? And then in our witnessing, none of us would know the Lord Jesus Christ if somebody hadn't given us a witness. At least if they hadn't given us the Word of God. Somebody hadn't come and said, I want you to have a, word, a copy of the Word of God. But more likely than that, there was somebody who came and brought the Word of God to you and spoke to you about it. Maybe it was a parent who continually brought you to church. I am blessed beyond measure. I have parents and I have grandparents who I was going to church before I was ever born. I was there every single time the doors were open. That's just the home I grew up in. And I know many people do not have that same experience. Many of you were brought to church by a neighbor. Many of you may have been brought to church on a church van or bus. But somebody brought the gospel to you. Maybe it was that you in college had a friend who came to you and said, I want to share with you who Jesus is, and I want to share with you the most important relationship in my life. But somebody witnessed to you, and that was important to you. But now, how are you doing that? How well are you doing that for others? How well are you going out and sharing that same gospel message? Are you sharing it with your kids and your grandkids? I hope you are. I hope you are. I hope you're sharing it with your best friends. But is it going beyond that? Here in the year of, of, of one, who's your one? Many of us, many of us wrote down our kids' names who do not yet know Christ. Or we wrote down our spouse's name who does not yet know Christ. But very few of us wrote down an enemy's name who does not yet know Christ. Very few of us wrote down the name of somebody who doesn't look like us or act like us or in a different social situation than us. Now, I know part of that is because we're not in that sphere of influence with them as much. But are we trying to reach out in any way possible to reach those people, to take the gospel to those who have not yet heard, who aren't part of our family or aren't part of our circle of friends? When it comes to our witnessing, are we, con are we considering our neighbors a very, very tight circle? Are we considering our neighbor to be who God would say our neighbor is? Any other person. Then look with me at verse 40. We see the fulfillment of the law. It says, all of the commandments, all of them, all the commandments of the Lord are suspended or they hang on these two commandments. Love God, love people. You see, if you love God, you will put no other God before him. If you love God, you will not make idols to offend him. If you love God, then you will not misuse his name. If you love God, then you will, will keep the Sabbath. You will keep it holy. If you love your neighbor, then you're going to recognize that that surely includes your parents, and you're going to honor your parents. If you love your neighbor, then you are not going to murder your neighbor. 
If you love your neighbor, then you are not going to commit adultery with your neighbor and sin against them and cause them to sin as well. If you love your neighbor, then you're not going to steal from your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to bear false witness against your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, then you're not going to covet what is theirs. You're going to be happy that they have been blessed. And so he says, hangs, all of the law hangs on these two. It's suspended by these two commandments. So if you want to simplify the 613 points of the oral law, love God and love your neighbor. If you want to simplify the Ten Commandments, love God and love your neighbor. If you want to bring peace and reconciliation into your home, love God and love your neighbor. If you want to bring peace into your church, love God and love your neighbor. And if you want to bring peace and if you want to bring true justice into your community and into your nation, begin by loving God and loving people, and then teach others how to do likewise. And we will find peace by loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself. Loving God with all of my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and then loving others will allow me to do the right thing every single time. Think about it. No matter what it is, the question you're facing, the dilemma that's in front of you, if you will love God and love people, the answer becomes pretty clear. The problem comes when we get selfish and we don't want to love God. We don't want to love people. We want to do what's best for me. That's when it gets complicated. But if we do it Jesus' way, if we will love God and love people, we have our answer. We currently seem to be having a great deal of trouble, though, in doing the right thing. As churches... We seem to be divided over politics and power more than over being united by the love of God and how we share that with our neighbors. As individuals, we seem to be spouting off on social media more than we are willing to listen to our neighbor and love them as thyself. Did you ever stop to realize that all sin results from a lack of love, either a lack of love for God or a lack of love for our fellow man. And so the truth is, if we really want to always do the right thing, then we need to get our heart right with God. And we need to tell him there's been times when we haven't loved him as we should. Let's confess those times that we haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves, and let's strive to do the right thing by God and by man. But again this morning, as I said, that can't happen. None of this can happen until you have a personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, which demands that you recognize that you are a sinner. You repent of that sin, meaning you just turn away from that sin, and you turn to God, and you place your faith in Him to be your Lord and to be your Savior. This morning, maybe the Lord is speaking to you. Maybe there's a decision that needs to be made. Maybe there's a decision that has been made that needs to be made public today. What's the Lord speaking to you about? I, I hope during this time, if the Lord's moved, if he's spoken in your life, I, I pray that you would move this morning as well. Lord, Heavenly Father, as we come to this time of commitment, Lord, I pray that you might stir hearts. Lord, I know that me in my life personally, Lord, you have stirred my heart this week as I've studied. And I've really had to ask some hard questions. Am I loving you 
with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. And then because of that love, am I loving all of my neighbors? Not just my close neighbors, not just the neighbors I get along with, but the neighbors that all too often I may not so much get along with. Am I loving them the way that you love them? That's convicting, Lord. So, Lord, maybe some of us need to make decisions today. But, Lord, I pray for the one that doesn't yet know you. I pray that today they'd give their heart and their life to you. And, Lord, we will have folks ready to, to talk to them this morning, whatever the decision that needs to be made. Lord, if there's others that have made decisions and need to make that public today, I pray that they would come and that we would have an opportunity to rejoice with them. But, Lord, now, I know that you've moved. I know that you're working. So, Lord, I pray that we would be obedient in these moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with your relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening, and may God bless you and your family.